welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sunday School by David Francis on June 26th, Lord's Day Service. All right, guys, we can go ahead and get started. I feel like these, we never quite have enough time, so we can go ahead and get started, and I'm sure we won't have enough time this time either. Uh, I'll take this off. So this is our fourth and final week of our marriage month. This uh, We're taking a turn uh, from the past couple weeks where Matt spoke on more of the husband's roles and leadership and the woman's roles and submission and how those work. Today we're getting back to both the husband and the wife. We're going to talk about conflict, which, uh, which applies to everybody. And um, I think we, the, the title of class, Conflict Resolution, so I hope by the end, we, we, all, we all want resolution to our conflict, so that will be the end at which we're, uh, I hope, to, to teach towards. So let's uh, start with prayer, and then we'll get rolling. All right, our Father, you have taken your bride who failed uh, the first conflict with the serpent and then entered into conflict with you, yet you still established your conflict. You established your covenant with her, and you redeemed her by giving your son for her. So we come before you now with uh, bad ideas about how to resolve our conflict. We probably come before you with conflict that's unresolved or conflict that we don't see. So uh, I pray that for all of us that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to your word, lay us, lay us bare before it so that we can learn and that our hearts may be stirred to obey all that you have commanded. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so from the outset, I want to kind of show my these. I'm going to make some artificial boundaries for the my thought processes since we're talking about conflict. That can go in lots of different directions, but the boundaries, the artificial ones that I'm putting up to help guide where I'm headed today, is to say that there's we're going to assume that there's some sort of unresolved conflict between you and your spouse. It could be hey, both of you are in the wrong and you're trying to work something out. It could be just one person's acting inappropriately or it could be a miscommunication. So whatever the case may be, that's the boundary. There's, there, is a mis- there is a conflict that is ongoing that needs to be resolved. So that, uh, with that, if, if we have time, we'll see if uh, we can have any discussion. We can take those boundaries off and talk about other things as well. But at least for, as I was getting my thoughts prepared, that was what I had in mind. Um, so really, if, if you're a note taker, or if you just try to structure things in your head, there's, this is how I'm gonna structure the next 45 minutes or so. There's two questions I wanna answer. The first one is, how should I conduct myself during a conflict? And that will be broken into well, eight different parts of hopefully somewhat related topics. <clears throat> so that's the first question, how should I resolve my, how should I conduct myself during a conflict? Number two, how do we actually go about resolving conflict? So those are two very different questions. How do I conduct myself? And then how, what, how do we resolve together? And the Bible has much to say about both. And so the principles involved in the first part, how do I conduct myself during a conflict, those don't change. And they're applicable to both husbands and wives. 
Um, now, uh, but the number two, the second part of, well, how do we go about resolving the conflict? That will change depending on what is the nature of the conflict. And I won't be exhausted. We'll go through a few different possible conflicts, but we won't be. I won't be exhausted because there's. We could continue for hours to come up with. Well, what about this and what about that? So, um, uh, but before we get into diving into that, I want to paint the picture for why do we care about this? We know that we obviously. I think that we we all hold the uh, the assumption that we want to resolve conflict in marriage. That that's that's not something that I don't think I necessarily have to make an argument for. But why is it that important? I've given this picture before. Actually, I've stolen this picture before from Toby Sumter, who wrote No More Mortals. This picture he he starts the book off with, and I think it's very helpful. It stuck with me, um, and so I wanted to share it with, with you guys again. So let's read two passages together from Deuteronomy that if we say these things outside the church, we'd probably be convicted of thought crimes. But here it goes. Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 18. It uh, reads, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to him, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city and at the gates of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our son. He's stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if flipping over to the next chapter, uh, chapter Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, says, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept, slept with her and the woman must die. You must <clears throat> purge the evil from Israel. And there's a few more passages about the consequences of that type of other uh, deviancies. Um, but what are we to make of that? So the point being here is God says, um, and here's the situation, and here's the punishment for it. <coughs> so, and that punishment was capital punishment for rebellious sons and then also for adultery. So as nowadays for us, what are we to think about that? Are we just to say, well, that was an angry God back then, and today things are different. I mean, Jesus has come to earth. He's borne our sins. He's died on the cross, so... Those Old Testament verses, we can have a disagreement about those as far as how those apply. Should we put them in modern society? Well, really, the, 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 what I want to point out is this comparison that, Sumter, that Toby Sumter gives in his book. So the, if your neighbor, if you knew your neighbor had a rifle in his house, would it bother you? Well, we live in the South, probably not. Most people in the South are okay with Second Amendment. We're comfortable with uh, firearms in the, in the home for protection or for hunting or whatever. Uh, well, what about if they had an assault rifle? Probably most, of, most folks are not going to have problems with it in the South. Maybe some of you begin to get a little uncomfortable there. Maybe not. What about a grenade launcher or a tank or a Patriot missile? Okay, as, we, as we're escalating up the weapons systems, you get a little more nervous. Well, what about if they were enriching nuclear uh, materials, uranium, in their basement? All of a sudden, you you think to yourself, oh, maybe we probably shouldn't be doing that. Because why? If they make a mistake enriching some sort of nuclear material in their home and something goes wrong, it affects not only you being their neighbor, but the whole subdivision, right? Or the whole city, possibly. The fallout would be massive. 
And so this is, this is the picture uh, that we, that picture is what I want you to see when you see the, um, back in Deuteronomy and you see God's law. That's what, that's exactly what God's saying here when he says, all Israel shall hear and fear. Because God knows, like the, like a nuclear fallout, marriages and parenting, the household is the most powerful um, substance on the earth. It's, it's made to be very powerful for good, but it can also be very powerful for evil. And so you may be catechized. I'm sure you've heard this catechism, that what happens inside your house, what happens inside your neighbor's house, it's their own business. You know, just stay out of other people's affairs. Well, that's a, that's a secular catechism, as if what happens in people's houses, it happens in their marriages, what happens in parenting, that doesn't spill out into the world. You know, if something goes wrong with them, I'm sorry, but, you know, no skin off my back, it really doesn't affect anything. That's not what the Bible says about parenting. That's not what the Bible says about marriages. That's not what the Bible says about households. As the households go, so goes society. In the same way an accidental nuclear reaction going, uh, uh, hitting some sort of critical mass, it's the same thing with the households. As households go, so goes society. And that's how God created the world. So that's like a creational norm. It's not something that we can just wish away or say, well, maybe that's not the case anymore. That is how God made this world. So with that as an underlying context, for why, this is why we're talking about it. So it kind of raises the stakes for, all right, my marriage. How can we resolve conflict? How can we work through issues? Um, and another picture, just lastly, before we get into the actual conflict part, is when you see like an ambulance going down the road with its lights on flashing, or if you see you know, a cop pulled over on the road and you see some lights and maybe something bad has happened, you don't typically say to yourself, <clears throat> as you see those flashing lights go by, oh, those lights are kind of overkill. We don't, you know, we don't need all those warnings. Let's you know, turn those off. When we're tempted nowadays to then look at in Deuteronomy and we see those laws as warnings from God about the household, and we may have this, uh, that's that wrong type of reaction where we see uh, an action and a punishment, and we may say, ah, we, we don't really need that. That's, that's a little overkill, God. I mean, uh, no, what we see when we see flashing lights going by is, oh, no, something has gone wrong. Somebody's hurt. Those lights are there as a warning. And that's the same thing when we look at Deuteronomy and we see these the capital punishment for these uh, for this type of sin. And the same way when we see warning lights, that's the same way for us reading it to say, oh no, God, because God has made the world in a certain way, when he knows that if these things begin to break down, everything begins to break down. So with that as the starting part for us to jump off of, to jump into conflict, God desires us to have healthy marriages. So we want to be able to persevere with joy, with hope through our conflicts. So, back to question one. How do I conduct myself during a conflict? So there's eight different points. Again, some of them will be nice and concise. Some of them will be a bit rambly. Um, I'll try to say, hey, as we move through, I'll, I'll uh, identify, hey, we've moved into a different one in case it's not clear. Uh, first one, when everyone's behaved badly, assuming both you and your spouse said some things you shouldn't have said, done some things you shouldn't have done, everybody knows they're at some fault here. When everyone's behaved badly, act as if you're the only one who sinned. 
So what do I mean by that? Let's flip over to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, or I'll read it to you if you don't have your Bible handy. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. All right, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what do we see here? Do we see Jesus in conflict? N- not exactly. We could, we could find how conflict is woven through here. But the thing I wanted to point out here was Jesus' humility. Uh, Jesus knowing that he, uh, all power is given to him, he humbles himself. So for us, when we're in conflict, and we know we are not the savior of the world. We are not perfect. We've got, uh, we've got more than enough sins we can point to and say. Uh, we can list out our problems. Yet, Jesus is our, uh, who we are striving to be like. And we are, as we are under Jesus, who also humbles himself, how much more should we humble ourselves? And also, in John... When, um, in the book of John, when Jesus was preparing for the, the final Passover, it says, uh, we read Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, what did he do? So again, the God the Father had given Jesus all things into his hands. So all the power, all authority had been given to Jesus. Jesus recognized this. He was very aware of his state and what was happening, what did Jesus do knowing that all authority was his? He decided at that very moment to ride in the city and establish an army and take over the world. No, he didn't do that. He said, now's the time for me to serve my brothers. I'm getting down, I'm washing their feet, I'm taking care of them. In the same way with us, when we get into conflict, so this is, this is where now we're moving to the, the side of conflict. When you know you have sinned, humble yourself to say, I, at this point, I will do the hard work of identifying what my problems are, where I've sinned, humble myself, um, and do that work right now of repentance. Because God gave you, uh, gave you your spouse to make you holy. So when you recognize, I've not been acting right, um, that you know my spouse has identified the sin, either I've identified the sin or my spouse has said, hey, Look at what you're doing right now. When you, when you had your marriage vows, for better or for worse, it, God made something magical happen. Maybe you want to say mysterious. That's, how, that's the word the Bible says, that, um, that this union is mysterious. Um, but whatever the case, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. There is something mysterious, magical in marriage to say um, that God has put your spouse there to help you become holy. So we want to take that seriously. So even when both parties have claimed that they've been wronged, it's our job, your job, not our job, it's your job, husband or wife, at that moment, uh, 
to now figure out the accusations that, against, that are against you. Are they true? And if they're true, repent. And that means, that also means that we, we stop defending ourselves, we stop making excuses for our behavior, and then also, this is to me one of the harder ones, stop blaming your spouse for why you're acting ugly. So here's the picture here. Say I had a cup of sewage water right here on, on this uh, table. If it bumps, what falls out of it? Does clear water, clean water fall out? No, nasty water comes out of this cup. And that's the picture that Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if what you're doing, if what's in your heart, if, if, or excuse me, if what you say in, conf- in during conflict is bad, is rude, you know you shouldn't have said it, what, Jesus doesn't give us an out here to say, well, he made me do it. She made me do it. Look what they're doing to me. Look what he's doing to me. Look what she's doing to me. Is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Not out of the abundance of your spouse's heart, which then does something to you, which then poisons your heart, which then makes you... It's not that complicated. What is in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. Um, so uh, we, can't, we can't blame our spouse for, for our sins. Now... Um, if you listen closely to this, you might, uh, you might think to yourself, oh, does this mean I'm supposed to be a doormat? Because what it sounds like is you're telling me to shut my mouth and you know, deal with my problems. And, you know, but what about my spouse? They're acting bad too. Am I supposed to roll over and be a doormat? Um, well, no, not at all. The, the Christian, the man or the woman who wants to mortify their sins, that means get away with, repent of, the, the Christian who wants to take seriously their sin and go after it with all they've got is not a doormat. That is the exact opposite of the doormat because that means you are uh, taking seriously the Lord's commands to you, and that is not being a doormat. Now, listening to the accusations about yourself does not mean that those accusations are true. Just because someone says, a spouse or even outside of marriage, someone claim, makes a claim against you, that doesn't mean they're necessarily true, but that does mean that you'd be wise to listen to your spouse. Again, you've been mysteriously joined together. God has put your wife in your life. God has put your husband in your life to take on a particular magical role for you. And I, I mean that in a very literal sense that uh, for the, I, we want to look at our lives that God has put us together in very specific, purposeful ways to grow you. And so we would be wise to listen to our spouses when they say things because we are blind to so many things in our life and God has given us many graces through our spouses to make those things, uh, to make us aware of those things. Um, so, but we want to not have quick reasons. Like if, if, uh, if you find yourself to always in your back pocket have that reason when someone says, why are you acting this way? Or your, your wife says or your husband says to you, you're doing this again. There's always that reason you could pop out real quick and say, well, there's why I'm doing that. We want to keep those reasons at bay, repent of those reasons, and listen. Uh, however, then, then there's the other ditch to this that I want to hit on, is that we don't apologize flippantly. We don't weaponize our apologies to say, well, my husband said this, therefore, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or my wife, she's mad, so I'm sorry, you're mad, I'm sorry. Like, what? either case, uh, uh Repentance and apologies aren't meant as a barrier to just end a conflict. Uh, a, a repentance is first and foremost to the Lord. And so the Lord knows, do we mean it when we apologize about things? 
So if we're doing it in a flippant manner that we're really not convinced that we're wrong, but we're tired of your, I'm tired of my spouse being mad at me, so let me just say I'm sorry and get this over with. That's actually just another thing you need to repent of at that moment if you start using apologies in a flippant manner. So we want to do the hard work of listening to your spouse, especially in these times that say, am I doing something that needs to be repented of? Have I really wronged him or her? And then once I can be convinced, and I'm not saying once I can be convinced, like, you know, give me enough proof and then, then I'll be convinced. No, it's taking what they've said, not asking for more and more and more, but really thinking about it and taking it before the Lord. Have I done this, Lord? And if so, repent. Now, this can only be done if you both love and trust your wife or husband and also want to grow in holiness. As I said, otherwise you'll want to demand a proof after proof. So the temptation is we typically want to allow ourselves to have a wide margin of leniency when it comes to our sin. Like, well, maybe that's what happened, but maybe not. Let me think about it. But with, you know, with our spouse, we're not necessarily going to show that much grace. So that's the temptation. Um, so number two, so I'll stop there. Let's go to number two, is you are not the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we'd all agree. We're not the Holy Spirit. However, we want to act like we're the Holy Spirit sometimes. You cannot change your spouse's heart. No matter how hard you try, you cannot do that. And you weren't meant to. So this is something actually to rejoice about. Because if it was up to you to change your spouse the way the Holy Spirit could change your spouse, you will be crushed. (laughs) Because you'll say, I thought we worked on this already. Why haven't you changed? I thought I was able to do this. You can't do that. Um, So that's why we're going back to the first point about act as if you're the only one who sinned. Because this is something that you can put yourself underneath the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, conviction and say, you know, Lord, send me the, your spirit to convict my heart so I can change. Show me what I can do. We, we can't force that for our spouse, but we can pray for them. Uh, we can definitely pray for our spouse to say, if, if, especially if you're convinced that, hey, I see these sins in my spouse's life, and I've even told them about them, but they don't see it. Um, well, that's, that's, that's what prayer is for, is to say, God, I, I've done all I can do, and I realize if I try to act like the Holy Spirit at this point and dig, 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 dig into them, you know, why can't you see this? Why can't you see this? Why can't you see this? That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and if we try to do that, things will only get worse. So, let's see. All right, number three. So number two is you're not the Holy Spirit. Number three is we need to be, husbands and wives need to be aware of uh, sex-specific ways to communicate during conflict. So as the past two weeks, as Matt's taught on, husbands and wives are created differently. We love and communicate with our, our husband or our wife in different ways. And that's a good thing. That's a creational thing. And so during conflict, we shouldn't expect the communication to be egalitarian. That means husband and wives talk exactly the same way during conflict. That doesn't happen. Um, and so we need to remember during conflict, Ephesians 5, <clears throat> how should husbands treat their wives? How should wives treat their husbands? This, this also applies during conflict as well. Because let's be honest, in the middle of a conflict, we do not want to obey Ephesians 5 typically. We're mad, we're irritated, 
These are a husband does not want to cherish his wife. A wife does not necessarily want to respect her husband. So these are things that were those are the sex specific things in Ephesians five that wives are supposed to respect their husbands. Men or husbands are supposed to cherish, cherish and nourish their wives. This is, or we can mix the two. Uh, this is uh, in conflict. These are things that we must pay special attention to as we speak with uh, speak in love to one another. Um, so we want. I, I hope that those words kind of haunt us during conflict, right? They sit behind us so that we can remember. All right, am I speaking this way to my wife? Am I uh, cherishing her? Am I nourishing her during this time the way I'm speaking? Because it's hard. It's just a really tough time. It can be a really tough time. And wives, am I showing respect with my words? Because in my heart, I'm really having trouble respecting him right now. Look what he's done to me. I don't want to respect him right now. But I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm called to. Something that can help is number four. Consider the best about your spouse. Again, this goes back to Philippians 2, so this is kind of a rehashing of that again, is, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. We're tempted to disbelieve what our spouse is saying about us. Uh, oh, you know, they just got an ax to grind, or oh, they're mad because, you know, X, Y, Z. But that actually might be wrong. Um, what they're saying may be, you know, you, we don't really know where it's coming from. So the humble heart hears them out and trusts them. Okay, number five. Let's be aware of the spiritual realm. What I mean by that. So when you give yourself over to the flesh and you let your accusations just fly out of your mouth with, you know, no guard. You're just letting them go. Letting your husband have it. Letting your wife have it. Bad news. You're acting like the devil. The devil, another name for him in Revelation, he is called the accuser. And so, when you're ready to make accusations, and you don't really care where it's coming from, you're just letting them fly, you are being like the devil. So Galatians, 5, Galatians 6, verse 1, gives us guidelines here. When we feel accusations wanting to come out, and we're not quite sure, is this the time for an accusation? What is on my mind? What's in my heart? I feel it, and I can point to this happened, and then you did this, and then you did this. And when you said, you know, you have, you've made a list in your head of what your spouse has done to you. And you know, you can be very eloquent with what those things are. All right, what are our guidelines? Because I feel called to say something. Galatians 1. Brothers or sisters, if anyone is caught in this transgression, your spouse, this is what we're applying it to right now. If your spouse is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore your spouse with the spirit of gentleness. It doesn't say spouse, and I'm, I'm applying it to this. So, if your spouse is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore your spouse in a spirit of gentleness. But keep a watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. So, what qualifies you to correct your spouse? There's two things there. You have to be spiritual, and you have to be gentle. All right, I think we kind of know what gentle means there. Spiritual is kind of the more confusing one. What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, it doesn't mean you have to be like an elite class of Christian. Well, I can't do that unless I'm, you know, or I've uh, attained to some office in the church. Or there's all, so what it means to be spiritual means, are you walking in the spirit? So 
I'll give the negative side of it. If you're exasperated, if you're irritable, if you're moody, if you're unpleasant, if you feel that you, I'm ready to be a jerk and I'm ready to let it fly, you're not being spiritual at that moment. Walking in the Spirit means you can think about the fruits of the Spirit. Are those things ready to come out of you at that moment as well? And you can discern that. You can discern your attitude, and your spouse can definitely concern, can discern your attitude. If you are not walking in the Spirit, you're not qualified to, at that moment, point out all those, that list that's in your head that you're ready to tell your spouse about. If you know you're not walking in the Spirit at that moment, if you're not spiritual, and if you can't be gentle as you bring this up, it's not the time to do it. It's time to go, maybe go take some time to repent, cool down, take it to the Lord and say, hey, these things I'm seeing, I'm not the Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, but these are, you know, list one, two, three, four things. This is what's happened. Lord, help, help my spouse, help my, help my wife. I'm trying to show her, help, help my husband. I'm, I'm, he's really treating me this badly right now. And boy, I want to give it to him. But I know that that would be like the devil. He's the accuser, and I really want to accuse him right now. Help me not to do that. And maybe if, if you recall those old cartoons back in the day where you had the little demon on one shoulder and a little angel on the other. I mean, that's silly, right? But in the sense, that's, that's not too far off in that when you want to let those accusations fly, it might as well be, I mean, think about screw tape in that sense. You, there's a little demon speaking. Now's the time. Lay it thick. Hit them hard. Yes, you're mad. It's right, you know, this is a righteous anger. Just let it go. You're going to hear all these temptations from that little demon on your shoulder. You just let them have it. But we must not. We must fight against that temptation. Okay, so that's number five. Be aware, be aware of the spiritual realm. There is more things happening in conflict than we can see. So number six. This is kind of a hodgepodge here. If this doesn't already seem like a hodgepodge. Number six is look for cues in, uh, about your emotional state or even your spouse's emotional state. So there's various cues that we can pick up on that we'd be wise to pick up on. So first, so say your, your spouse is here and you're here and you're having a com conflict. If you're standing here and talking about it versus standing here with your legs like this and your arms like this, is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. There's emotional cues to it. Are you distant? Are you closed off? Leaning back? Keeping your distance from them? Those things matter. That's, you know, when we worship, our bodies matter. That's, there's a, it's not as if everything's just happening right here. Everything is happening here, everywhere. Your whole body matters in conflict. Um, so that's one thing. Pick up on those emotional cues for yourself and for your spouse. Um, Let's see, does it? Um, so if we can de-escalate that situation where if you pick up on those things, if you realize, hey, I'm kind of just hanging back from my spouse, uh, well, put your hands down. You know, open up. Realize I am cutting off. Some, there's some sort of emotional thing where, you know, everybody's for the most part handling themselves well, and I actually want to keep this conversation going. Well, open up to them uh, physically. Um, back to emotions. If you feel like a, a rage sitting down there, uh, it's probably a good time at that moment to just stop and repent of that before you move forward. Because if you know, hey, I'm, I'm about to boil over. I'm really angry right now. Um, I, 
I need to stop and repent of that first before we actually get into, you know, the various things that may have offended you or, uh, yeah, but the anger is a you problem that you need to work through right now. Another thing about um, emotions, this is okay, probably, probably more towards the wives, but it could be for the husbands as well. Do you feel like you can't control your emotions or you just you can't understand why you're crying a lot? Crying is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with crying. But <clears throat> one, we need to make sure it's not being manipulative, right? Crying is a, is a natural thing that happens. But are, is, is, assuming you're not trying to manipulate or make something happen in the situation, why are we crying? It's good to understand. It's good for the, the wife to understand. It's good for the husband to understand because that has something to do with the emotions are telling of what's happening in the situation. We are emotional creatures, and that's a good thing because God made us that way. So we'd be wise to learn why are these emotions happening at this moment. And it could be for good reasons. could be for bad reasons. could be unexplained reasons. But we need to do the work to figure that out. Um, Another emotional state, another cue that we can pick up on is would it feel natural in this, when you're in the conflict at this very moment, would it feel natural for us to pray right now? Could we pray together? Uh, would it feel contrived if we stopped and prayed? Um, because what that shows, if, if your answer is no, it would not feel natural for us to pray right now because we're both so angry. Okay, well, that tells you your answer. You've got anger issues and both of you need to pray about that. Um, but one thing that prayer <laughs> makes us realize is are we so tunnel visioned on our spouse that we don't have the greater picture of the Lord as he being over the conflict right now? Because if we're so ton of tunnel visioned on this issue that I can't open up my eyes to, the, 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 uh, to God in this moment and to give my spouse to the Lord, give my whatever's going on in me to the Lord. Okay, so that's our problem. We're so focused on the other person. That's why we can't pray. Uh, let's see. Was there anything? Oh, so when Paul says to pray continually in all circumstances, was he being hyperbolic? You know, all right, Paul. Yeah, I know we're supposed to pray a lot, but pray continually? That seems like a little overkill. Well, I mean, that's, that's us kind of pushing that under the rug, hoping that's not the case, because, boy, I don't necessarily want to take what I'm doing right now to the Lord. But he was not being hyperbolic. We actually are to pray continually, so that's part of the work. I mean, this is really another whole Sunday school lesson if we want to get into what it means to pray continually. But that applies to in conflict as well. Um, all right, so this, this uh, seventh point here, so that ends number six, which was emotional states. Some of that was some emotional states and got into other things. But this seventh one is I put it in my uh, miscellaneous category. So there's going to be a lot of just short little quips here. Uh, you've heard uh, probably it's said at either at like a, at a marriage ceremony or maybe just in some sort of counseling. You've heard, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And you say, well, you know, this applies to marriage. Don't ever go to bed before you work stuff out. But what's unique about this is that's great. I mean, if you can work stuff out before you go to bed, that's fine. But that's not actually what the verse says. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anger's a one-person type thing. Conflict's a two-person thing. Anger's a one-person thing. Anger's a me problem. Conflict is an us problem. Um, so when it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, it doesn't mean, well, me and my wife need to work this out before we go to bed. No, what? don't let the sun go down on 
your anger or your anger. What that means is, before I go to bed, I must repent of my anger. That's what it means. It doesn't mean we've got to hash this out, especially if it's, you know, 10 o'clock and we're tired. And when you're tired, conflict goes bad. I mean, again, going back to we're not just brains, we're bodies too. When you're fatigued, and let's be honest, uh, conversations don't go well when you're tired, right? Things get worse and worse and worse. Um, as you, the more tired, the more hungry, we get irritable. I mean, that's just the case. So we need to recognize that in our flesh, things don't always work out. I mean, we, we have weaknesses, so let's identify them and say, all right, we've hit the end of this conversation for this evening. Let's pause it. If I'm angry, I take it to the Lord, and we pr- I pray about it. If my wife's angry, she takes it to the Lord. She prays about it. If Maybe we can even pray at this moment and say, well, you know, Lord, we're calling it right now. There's still some unresolved things we need to work through. I repent of my anger. Or, you know, she made this accusation against me. She's absolutely right, and I'm sorry about that. I'm, I apologize to you, Lord, and I apologize to my wife about it. But, you know, we, there's still some things we haven't fixed. But we're, you know, we're calling it for the night, and we've worked through our anger. Um, also, uh, going back to the, the physical aspects of things, uh, trying to de- de-escalate a situation. I mentioned, you know, if you realize you're closing yourself off, maybe in your mind you're not closed off to your spouse, but you find yourself from body language, try to de-escalate a situation. So get closer. I mean, you can even hold her hand, hold his hand. Or if, it's, if, it's, if it makes sense in the situation, give them a hug and just reaffirm your love for them, even during the conflict. Um, and then finally on this, this last one is try not to be easily offended. Um, 1 Corinthians 13.5 love, says love is not easily provoked. So if you, you may, your spouse may have sinned against you, right so, rightly so, and you can be confident that he or she is going to sin against you again. I mean, this is part of life. You will be sinned against inside your house, outside your house. Um, and you can be, and there are times, if, you know, if you're in a spiritual state, you can discuss it with the spirit of gentleness and work through it. That's great. Um, but we should watch our attitudes to say, can I let love cover it? Is my cup, is it full of dirtiness? Because if it's full of dirtiness, it will constantly get offended, offended. It doesn't take much because my heart is so dirty um, that I'm just, you know, it doesn't take much and I snap. I'm done. I'm, fuss, I'm flustered and I'm going to wear it on my face. You know, it's, you can see it from a mile away. I am offended. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not easily provoked. So can you say, I guess the application there is can you, can you say that you've let love cover offenses before, honestly? And then the final one, this one actually is not the potpourri, the mixture anymore. The final one is the golden rule. Mark, so that's Matthew 7, 12. Here's the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, it's, we've probably heard this when we are kids, if we grew up in the church. Um, whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them. So I think it's interesting. It hit me again this week as I was writing this out. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, all of it's summarized here. Um, so this is very powerful. It's not just a write-off little thing for the kids in their Sunday school classes. Um, and I, 
I've been reminded, I've been trying to wash my kids with this verse lately and they're during conflicts, bringing it up when there's, you know, various dust-ups. And as simple as ver- this verse sounds, whatever you wish as others would do to you, do to others. So washing our kids with it, I've said, you know, all right, let's put this, the golden rule before you and let's analyze what you've done, lay it bare before the golden rule. And boy, I realized their temptation is the same temptation as all of ours, which is, well, yeah, of course, they're, my, my sibling's not obeying the golden rule. That's the problem, <laughs> right? It's their problem. It's not my problem. Uh, now, we want to take that rule and apply it to others for our own benefit. Again, the golden rule is meant to apply to us. That whatever you would have, others do to you, do to others. The, uh, there's this uh, book, a dictionary called The Devil's Dictionary, written by a pagan guy named Ambrose Bierce. He rightly put it, this stuck with me. And in his, uh, in his, it's a, literally a dictionary for the word Christian. Again, this guy's not a Christian, but he, he hits at something here that I think we'd be wise to pick up on. A Christian, one who believes that the New Testament is a defiant, divinely inspired book, admirably suited for the needs of his neighbor. One who follows the teaching of Christ in, insofar as they are not inconsistent with the life of sin. So, this is us. We're hypocrites, right? We want others to treat us the way we want to be treated. So we just invert the golden rule over and over and over. So this, again, just should haunt us during conflict. How do I want to be treated right now? Am I treating others this way? Um, so I'll pause there. So that's, that was number eight, the golden rule. So we'll pause here and move from question one which is, how should I conduct myself during conflict? And let's move on to question two, which is, how do we actually resolve the conflict? So, uh, honestly, if your spouse and you are committed to conducting yourself like a Christian, so, uh, uh, then 90, I don't want to say 99, a bunch of your conflicts will resolve themselves because they won't escalate into something more than what they originally started as. Both the husband and the wife are both committed to hearing each other out. So again, you're not compounding problem with a new problem with a new problem, because that's the problem with not handling conflict correctly, which was this thing which, if uh, approached correctly, we could have resolved it. Well, now we've got layers of other things that are piling on top of that initial thing that need to be taken taken off before we can actually discuss that thing again. Um, so, but okay, so, but what if everybody's uh, handling themselves appropriately? So we're going to assume that that's the case, um, that everybody's behaving properly, that everyone's loving the Lord, they're taking, taking the, the conflict, the disagreements before the Lord, and the husbands and wives are loving them, are both loving their spouses properly in the conflict. What do we do when the uh, disagreement remains? Okay, so um, again, going back to the past couple weeks, you know, we're in the CREC, and you probably hear the word like patriarchy a lot. What, how, does that, how does that apply here? Does that mean, well, if there's a tie, the husband gets what he wants? That's a pretty bad definition for what patriarchy is. Uh, what that means is the husband leads. So what is a leader? Uh, a wise leader listens to wise counsel. And assuming all things are well in the marriage, the, a wise husband looks to his wise wife for wise counsel. 
Again, this, this is in a healthy marriage, assuming we've worked through or we're not treating each other poorly at the moment, this is how things should work. Um, that he, uh, they disagree, husband and wife are disagreeing about, you know, pick your topic. Everybody's probably got something in their head of something they've disagreed about recently. Um, that they So, again, how should it work? The husband listens to counsel from his wife. And the husband's also given counsel to his wife about it. So they've discussed it. That's what I mean by that. They've discussed it, and both the husband and the wife are really thinking through what their spouse has told them. Okay, yeah, on this issue, I disagree, but I can make the case that my wife has made, and she agrees that I'm understanding it the way she's seeing it, and then the wife can say, well, I've heard, I've heard out my husband. Here's his argument that he's made, or here's the way he views it. And she can say, but, 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 but. And he can listen to her and say, yeah, you've got it. You've understood me. So if both people feel completely understood, I mean, that's step one. I mean, that everybody understands, or the husband and the wife feel completely trusted, that they've been heard, that wise counsel has been taken from one another and they've both been thankful and joyful through it all okay so perhaps at that moment they can they have worked it out and they've figured out how 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 to work through that particular conflict okay so what if they what if you still haven't you've done all that you've you've been able to talk through it been able to pray uh, okay obviously then the next step would be to pray spend a lot of time in prayer through it that's taking it to the lord assuming that you haven't yet is Lord, we come to, uh, you can pray independently, but also come together before the Lord and say, like, yeah, yeah. We've both, we've, we feel like we've done the hard work, Lord, and we, you've put us together magically, mysteriously. We are one. You've united us together, yet we're still stuck. Would you please help us? Be gracious to us, Lord. Uh, sorry about that. And there is, I mean, the Lord hears, the, hears our prayers and answers them. And so the answer might be, at that moment, the Lord may tell you, may, may make it very clear, may change the husband's heart, may change the wife's heart, may change both hearts, or may say, go talk to somebody. Find wise counsel outside. Because this Christian life isn't one to be lived alone. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, go, just go find anybody who can help, or, or, you know, just find some Christian and talk to him about it. What it means is, husband and wife says, hey, we've agreed upon... This lady, this husband, this couple, this pastor, these people, we want to go talk to them about our conflict. And both the husband and the wife agree. These are safe people that we'd both be fine <clears throat> talking with about whatever the issue is. And I'm happy to talk with them about it. Um, because they can see things about your marriage that <laughs> when you're in the marriage, you probably can't see too. Or they may have some experience that you don't have to to walk through and say, actually, we, we had that same thing happen a year ago. And here's what we learned through it. You know, I don't know what, what the answer from the, the, the trusted outs, outside family would be, but they can help. Um, okay, now I want to mention two ditches here that uh, husbands can fall into and wives can fall into. Um, when it comes to, all right, we have to make a decision about whatever, you know, whatever the conflict was, there needed to be a decision point and we can't agree on it. So um, the husband is, uh, would be tempt, can be tempted, uh, especially I feel like in our circles, there is a temptation for husbands to say, 
I'm listening. I hear what you're saying. I really do. But they're just, it's more of a lip service thing. I'm really not listening to what you're saying. I hear you. My eyes are open and my ears are taking in sounds. But I'm really not considering it and really taking it and wrestling with it. So that's, that's one ditch that a husband can fall into is to try to, to act like they're listening and hearing out their wives, but really not. Um, so that's one ditch. The other ditch, or another ditch, is to, for the husband takes his wife counsel and he's weak-willed and says, all right, well, yeah, that's fine, whatever. And he doesn't really, he's still not taking her counsel, really. He's just saying, yeah, whatever you want. He's not taking her counsel and working with it. He's probably not even listening. He just doesn't want to deal with the conflict. And so he just, you know, whatever what, whatever you say, I want to do it, or I'll do it. So he, uh, that's, that's just as equally a, a problem as the husband that won't listen. They're both not listening in a sense um, and not taking her counsel as wisdom. And for the wife, so that's the husband's possible sins during conflict. Um, the wife, she must endeavor to communicate through both. If she recognizes either one of those things in her husband, she must endeavor to communicate respect during her counsel, not, deme not demeaning him. Um, and, and by the husband intently, listen to his, intently listening to his wife, he's cherishing her. Um, and then finally, we'll have a, uh, like I said, we never have time as much for questions as I'd hope. Um, this is not a last resort. Again, we've talked about this various, in various times, but we must pray throughout all, of, throughout all of our conflicts, throughout all of our lives, but spe specifically in times of trouble, um, we must pray. You can, you know, ha as you look back on your life, you see God's faithfulness to you, right? And you can point to those very difficult times when you were most desperate, you didn't think you could get through. How did the Lord answer you? So the good news for Christians is that we have a loving and faithful Father. And we have absolutely zero concern for the future because we're told he works all things for good for those who love him and that are called according to his purpose. So have you considered that right now? That your conflict, if you love him, if you're in him, if you abide in Christ, your conflict is called according to his purpose. Wow. So that gives you reason to rejoice even in the tough times, even through the conflict. You can spend time rejoicing knowing that even at this moment, when I wish we had a resolution, when I wish we had a very, very clear path forward, and I really, it's, you know, this is an uncomfortable time and I wish you weren't in it. You can change that for joy and remind yourself, even this, it will be worked for good. It's, it's actually as part of God's purpose in this narrative that he's weaving in all of our lives he saw this and said this chapter in your life is supposed to be here this is supposed to be here for you it's supposed to be here for the wife for the husband you guys needed to learn something maybe you'll see it now maybe you'll eventually see it maybe you'll never see it or at least be able to identify it or maybe it wasn't for you maybe it was for somebody else but it was a part of god's good purpose for his christians thanks for listening if you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.